My name is Stuart Albright. This is a podcast about the messes we make and the messes we endure as our parents get older. It's a story about illness and loss, but it's also a story about joy. So this is Stuart Albright, in person, not pre-recorded. This will be the first time I do a kind of a live interview. And in my studio, which is my son Brett's bedroom at the moment, is uh, my brother Rob, who's been featured very prominently throughout this podcast. And I figured we'd, we'd end the Mess podcast with an episode where I got his perspective on the past decade of cra- craziness. So Rob, it's good to have you. Thanks, Stu. It's really good to be here. And I'm sure for you listeners at home, it might be a little bit difficult for you to tell when I'm speaking and when Rob's speaking, because we have a bit of a similar similar voice here. And hopefully there won't be a lot of background noise, although um, our four boys are uh, kind of yelling and screaming. We we tried to like put them in the basement right now, so they're (laughs) away from where we are. But um, so uh, so Rob, you've had a chance to kind of like read through all of this podcast stuff I've been working on here, and I guess. In general, I'd, I'd be curious because it's obviously from my perspective what what I dealt with. Mm-hmm. But what was what does it felt like for you, kind of from the outside looking at someone else's perspective on something that we kind of did share a lot of? Yeah, you know, one thing just to read through, and I'm excited to hear how you pull it together because I think there is something powerful about the audio uh, of your voice, but then mixing in the the different experiences and memories. But one thing that jumped out to me in reading through uh, what you were working on was just the how long uh, the challenges we walked through. It wasn't like it just was confined to the last kind of year or two that we were experiencing mom and dad's health declining. So that was one thing was just it felt like, wow, this was a long journey that really went back really a decade plus. So part of me that made me feel really fatigued. Uh, it also made me feel really grateful that we had each other to walk through with that. We had our wives to walk with us through that because I don't think anybody could have walked through that alone. So I had a, just a mixed emotions of feeling sadness that there were so many challenges with our parents' health and many other things that you get into in the podcast. And so that was sad to me to think that the last decade of their life was marked by a lot of loss and things that were taken away and relationships that were impacted. And just, uh, you think about that verse, I think about that verse, I don't know the exact scripture, but it talks about where rust and moth destroy. And it just feels like reading through, uh, the last 10 years of our parents' life, there was a lot of that, but there's also this, this beautiful, um, reminder of God's goodness amidst loss and amidst pain. So that's the other thing that I'm left with is one, grateful that we could walk through it together Two, man, that was a lot. Um, and three, <laughs> God is good, even amidst really difficult, really challenging things. So we're, we're recording this uh, episode on May the 30th, 2022. So this was about this time last year, we were about 10 days away from, from mom's passing. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, it's definitely strange for our families to be together today Strange in a good way, obviously, mm. when we just had so much of our time was built around right. how do we take care of our parents. Um, so uh, I guess what I'll, I'll do is I'll kind of dive into some of the events that I focused on for this podcast, and then we'll talk maybe kind of a what do we learn from this, if, any, if yeah. anything, because I would hope that maybe people listening to this would find 
something that they could take from it when they think if you've got your own parents that you're dealing with, or if you're you're going to be um, getting into that stage of the 70s or 80s where your health may be declining, and hmm. how you might want your own kids to sort of uh, help you through that that whole process. Um, so, let's talk about the one thing that I had to really speak to from a distance was you know, one of the hardest moments, which was the moment the dad died. Mm. And I included, um, you know, I talked about you going down to, to visit dad the weekend after I did on Halloween. And, and I played the, our, the um, voicemail that dad left you about going to get the, uh, the milkshake. milkshake from Chick-fil-A. So um, yeah, if you could maybe talk a little bit about as much as you're comfortable with, I, was, I know that's just a really hard yeah. experience to have gone through. I think I've I've had the benefit of perspective now. That was um, early November of 2019, so it is coming up on two and a half plus years ago. And I do feel like I've been able to reclaim that day as a day that was traumatic, but also was a day that was really special. That uh, the the way that that day played out. So Molly and I loaded up our boys and we drove from Cary down to see. At that point, mom and dad were at the same. Uh, facility, uh, kind of in that recovering space. So I remember driving down there and just feeling kind of like you described in the podcast, just like, okay, here's another, this is the next, you know, chapter challenge, a lot of uncertainty. So I remember going down there feeling, um, yeah, just, uh, what is this going to be like? How are our boys going to handle seeing mom and dad in such a weakened state? Cause they were both, you know, quite sick. But there was also the expectation that they were both going to be at a place where they could get out of that facility in the next couple of weeks. So I do remember, yeah, I've saved that uh, voicemail that dad left. I remember calling him on the way down and asking, you know, hey, do you need anything? We had stopped, I think, at, at Panera, but he wanted something from Chick-fil-A. But it was it was fun to get that for him and bring it into the, it probably was prohibited. I think he was on like a a food and drink diet um, that did not involve a 800 calorie <laughs> Uh, vanilla milkshake. So we smuggled that thing in there. Uh, but I think it provided a, a ray of sunlight in an otherwise pretty, pretty dark place. Um, but the staff there was, was wonderful. And, you know, mom and dad were actually one of the kind of beautiful things of that day is that when we got there, we were able to wheel both dad and mom out into this like sunlit um, kind of courtyard so I do remember really vividly. So the last time that mom and dad would have ever been together was time that Molly and I had with them, with the boys. And so it was really special if I think about, you know, if you lose a spouse, um, what are those final, you know, what's that final moment that you have together? And in some ways, a very sick weekend state that they had together, but it was also surrounded um, by family. And so I think that's one yeah, just one thing that I'm really grateful for. Um, I remember John, I guess he was like five at the time, found a like a rock in this kind of courtyard area. And it it said, I think people had written people's names on the rocks. And there was a rock that he found that said uh, Nancy on it. I was like, buddy, I think you should leave that there. I think that's someone else's <laughs> rock. So he found a different one that was that didn't have someone's name on it. But I just remember there was sunlight. And I remember mom and dad both just kind of enjoying being in the sun, being outside. So yeah, then we, we, we wheeled them back to their rooms. We left to get dinner. And then I went back to go see dad that evening. 
And um, I think like a lot of things that I remember about dad, he was somebody that was, um, how would I describe it? I'd say he was somebody that didn't like to talk about difficult subjects, especially if it was something that he had a strong point of view on. And in some ways, it was the not a good time to bring it up. And in a lot of other ways, it was the right time to bring up that they were facing this looming question of how are they going to live in their home? Um, you know, I think you and I both realized that they were at a place where they each needed a lot of help and they couldn't really provide that for each other. So I do remember having that conversation with him. It wasn't like the first thing I jumped into when I got there that night, but I do remember talking about it. And I think I wanted to get them to a place where they both understood the the value of getting out of the Patrick Road house that we had grown up in. But he just was so uh, stubborn. I mean, that's just <laughs> one thing I remember about him, very stubborn. He would not have any anything of that. So I think that's one thing that's been hard for me that a lot of what I remember about that evening was that there was that continued kind of stubbornness in his posture, even when he was so weakened. And even from my perspective, it was so clear that they needed to change course and he didn't want to change course. So that part of it was hard. I think the part of it that was, um, that was beautiful though, is that I remember him sitting up and him saying, Hey, would you mind, you know, rubbing my back? Um, I'm, I'm just, he's like, I, I remember him saying, I feel a little like my stomach is upset. And so I remember um, him sitting up and I scratched his back. And so that was really special to have just like a, a physical contact with him. Cause I know in that kind of medicalized space, the only time you really are getting physical contact is in a very like kind of caregiving medical procedural way. And so I'm really thankful for that, that I was able to be there. And, you know, the last kind of physical contact he had was actually with his son. Um, we watched a little bit of the Carolina football game. I remember they were playing Virginia I think they got beat um, that night. <laughs> and then he stood up to go to the bathroom and I wanted to give him some privacy. So I stood kind of right outside of the bathroom that was like attached to his room and, you know, kept, you know, just asking like, Hey, are you okay? And then all of a sudden I heard this just massive kind of crash and I got in there right as he was collapsing. So I won't go into a lot of the detail, but it was very traumatic to be there when he essentially we found out after the fact that his heart stopped. I mean, he just had a massive heart attack, but I think the hard thing for me, uh, in that moment and then the kind of hours and days that followed, I, I did feel that one, I should have been with him in the bathroom so that he hadn't have fallen. Cause that was really hard to see him on the floor. I think I also felt, and I feel more freedom from this now, but I think I felt like, Oh, I shouldn't have, you know, pushed him on a stressful topic that like maybe he wouldn't have had a heart attack if I hadn't have been, you know, so insistent on pushing for change. Um, but I think that, um, in hindsight, you know, the doctors that we talked to and as I prayed about it, I mean, he was so frail and so weak that, I mean, it's a miracle that he hadn't had a heart attack in many other contexts that could have actually harmed many other people. Mm -hmm. He could have been driving a car. It could have happened. Um, on mom's watch when she was really weakened. So I think about in some ways it was God's grace that it actually happened to me and not to somebody else that it could have been like even more, um, traumatic. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, the we were in a medicalized space, so there were people around really quickly to try and administer CPR, but it was pretty clear pretty quickly that that he was gone. So, um, yeah, I mean, the first person I called obviously was Molly, um, and she was not too far away, so she got someone to stay with the boys. We were staying at your um, your in-laws' place, at, at Joe and Lil's place. So she came up, and then, of, of course, my next thought was I need to call Stu. And so, um, yeah, I'm just so glad that you answered the phone. Um, well, I, think, that, I think I actually called you. That's right. Yeah, that's I right. called you. Because you were just calling to check in, right? Because you knew that things were... I knew you were going to have yeah. a hard conversation with Dad. I was like, how did it see how the conversation went? I just tucked in our boys, so I called you. And I think it was you were maybe outside the in the hallway against the mm. against the wall 10 minutes after it, it had happened. So. Yeah, wow, that's right. I think I maybe had just gotten off the phone with Molly. Wow, yeah, that's right. But it was um, it was so helpful to know that Molly was on her way there. I knew that you and Jenny were on your way. So I felt very much cared for and surrounded by people from a very, like literally from the minute that it happened. So as I was making this podcast, one thing I had to decide was, you know, what what version of my parents do I present here and how much of our families, good and bad, do I, do I uh-huh. present? And that, there's a, I had a lot of, discussions with Jen about that. And I do think it's important to talk about, you know, the hard things around dad. And Mm. that was, you had a hard conversation with him and I'm so grateful that you were there Mm. to have that conversation because I think it needed to be had. And so that kind of leads into my next question. The, for me, the hardest episode to record and to write was the one about um, mom having her, her mental health setback where Mm. she, uh, she went manic and uh, I thought long and hard about, and we've recorded all these different audios of mom. What do we re- record of that? We do have some record of mom when she was in that state. And I think I ultimately decided not to include that. Um, I know you've got a voicemail on your phone from when she was. Yeah. I know you wanted to have that for the psychologist to be able to hear what she was, how she was acting. Um, but yes, yeah, so I guess, you know, the 34 days that mom was in the hospital, um, you were. I mean, I admired, admire your willingness to have done that, but only one of us could be there. If I had known that it was going to be 34 days straight, I might have uh, <laughs> done a draw straws instead of just automatically volunteered to do that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we have never had known mom to have had mental health issues in the past. Uh, she had moments of kind of times where she was perhaps depressed and sad, but she never acted manic before. Um, so I guess I just, your thoughts on those 34 days, I, I, I kind of had to learn about all that on the outside looking in. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I remember is the, the night that all of that, all hell broke loose when <laughs> it was on Jenny's 40th birthday, right? Jenny's 40th birthday and dad's 74th birthday, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember just the uncertainty around what were we going to do? Um, getting over there with you and it being really obvious that we needed to, to get her to see someone. And then I definitely remember a lot of the, just the, that first night that she was in essentially a hallway waiting to get a room and it took, yeah, I mean, it took literally 18 hours almost for her to actually get out of that hallway and she just was not herself. I mean, just talking nonstop. Yeah, just, it was clear that there was something that was wrong with her chemically that I was really worried, is this going to be her forever state? 
definitely feeling like this is no way for her to, she cannot be alone. Um, also just praying that she would sleep. Like we, we were both <laughs> just so tired and it was from, you know, 9 PM until 6 AM, just nonstop. She just would not slow down. So I remember coming to, to relieve you and just seeing you and you were just like, like shell shocked, mm-hmm. just bleary eyed, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, that was, I think about, there's a lot of people that are in that situation that they may not have a, a sibling or someone nearby that could be with them. You know, there were other people in the hallway that were also having some sort of behavioral health or mental health thing. And all of them had like an assigned kind of aid that was basically just there to, to keep, keep an eye on them. So I'm glad that I could be there because I think that would have been really confusing to mom if there was like no one known around her, even though she wasn't acting herself. So that first day was certainly hard. I think we were also, we knew that she had just a, such a complex set of needs. So to feel like, gosh, we're adding yet another layer. It's like she already had heart and lung issues. And then now we've got this like uncertain question, this kind of curveball that it would just felt like the next curveball. I think it also, those 34 days were hard because we didn't know how long she was going to be in there. There was no, um, there was no one to tag out like the, the kind of COVID hospital era policies where I was the only person that could go in. So that felt hard to be like, if we want to actually advocate for mom and understand truly what's going on, you can do some of that by phone, but you really need to be in there and see the doctor when they come through. And so that was a, yeah, every day, pretty much for 34 days, driving up to Durham, parking in the parking deck, going through the kind of temperature check and COVID questions, and then double masking up and going in there. Um, I'd say that, you know, there were some sweet memories though. I mean, across all of these chapters, I mean, it's like you look at them from the outside and you're like, how could anything good come out of those different chapters. But I remember, you know, listening to how I would bring my laptop and we would, mom and I would listen to some of her, like, you know, favorites from the sixties, um, listen to Wilson Pickett and, um, Midnight all, Hour. all songs that she could like remember word for word. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. So it wasn't like, I don't want people to think that she was in a kind of distorted, distorted mental state the entire time. But there were, there were days where you could tell that like, okay, this is still something that that they're trying to calibrate what is the right level of, of medication to help her. Um, but she was still her sweet self. I mean, even in those moments where she was not herself, you could see this, this instinct to want to engage this instinct to want to care, this instinct to want to find out about someone else. And so those moments where that would like kind of go to the extreme, she would go and, you know, order food for the entire floor. Um, but there were also some really sweet things just seeing how she got to know, some of the nurses, like I remember taking a picture of her, like hugging one of the, the nurses who was finishing a, you know, a, one of her four days straight stretches. And so they had spent, you know, 48 hours together over four days. And, you know, this was a, yet, yet another one of mom's, you know, best friends. Um, she also had, I remember, uh, we learned pretty quickly that we needed to keep her phone out of the room, but we did bring in a lot of stationery. And I just remember her even when her, um, 
you know, physically it was hard for her to kind of write for long stretches. She just loved sitting in the, uh, in her chair kind of writing thank you notes to people. And so that aspect of her never really went away. It was just, it was hard to see so many different specialists cycling through. And it was clear that there was not, um, like a long-term pathway for her. And so it was just a matter of like, how can we get out of this stage and just feel like, okay, this is the next step down. We don't know how many more steps down we have. Um, where, where do we go from here? How do we kind of pivot? How do we navigate? So the fact that she was still then able to go back into an independent senior living facility for a couple of months um, before she moved to your house is pretty amazing. I mean, if you had asked me on like August 7th, you know, 24 hours after she had had that, right. I would have said, no, you'll never go to the mountains for a weekend. You'll never have any stretch by yourself. You'll never have like real quality time with family and friends. And she had like an abundance of that, um, for, for the, the, the challenges that she walked through the last year of her life. I think she would, we would all say it was actually a really full, really blessed life. For those of y'all who don't know Rob and I very well, uh, one of Rob's strengths so much more than me is his ability to take a whole bunch of really complicated information and distill it down in a way to help someone out. Uh, he's a consultant by trade and he's really good at it. Um, and I feel like you were the de facto medical expert <laughs> and mom's mom's uh, medical needs were so complicated. It required a tremendous amount of time and effort. So I'm just mm. so grateful that you were able to, to be that point person for the doctors to be able to, to juggle. It just makes me think for people who have complicated medical histories that don't have family support, how much of a difference that can make. Yeah. I think there was a, a good learning there around the importance of advocating for yourself or advocating for a loved one. I think the, I know you had asked before kind of just general reflections. I think another one from that 34 days was just really, yeah, not, not being, uh, I think there was a part of me that didn't want to waste doctor's time by asking questions or felt like, Oh, I'm, I'm not deferring to them if I'm and pushing back in any way. And it's not my personality to push back. So that was a, a learning as well as when it comes to your, your own health or your family's health, even if you feel like you're asking the same question or wasting that person's time, if it's helping you get clarity on what your options are, um, then, then be sure to do that. I'd say of the, the last, six to nine months after she got out of the hospital, the, the two moments that to me will probably stand out as my favorites. One would have been the trip that we got to take to Montreat mm. um, that uh, I included some audio from that and uh, that, that drive up to Montreat. I feel like it was so special because mom was able to tell her stories and she was herself and mm. they had gotten her mental state, you know, in kind of a equilibrium. Yeah. And, uh, and then the other one was the um, uh, mother's day when we recorded the, the nanny of the Jedi warrior video, which I included some. So basically that video is, um, it's all music except for two clips. And there, there's two clips that we included. One is of mom, uh, wrestling with a, uh, a lightsaber with Rob. <laughs> Rob's you're wearing a werewolf mask, yeah, right? That's right. I was and, the villain. And, uh, mom is, is like screaming in character fighting this werewolf. And, uh, and this is like three weeks before she dies totally in character and then the other moment is is your boys i think and our boys running down the street pushing mom in her wheelchair as you chased after her 
and the werewolf. I'm sure our neighbors thought we were crazy, <laughs> but um, but mom's totally in her element. And for me, that was just sort of like my those are my two most cherished memories. I think from yeah from those times. What about for you? Yeah, both of those are really special. I think about how things could have played out differently if we had not, with mom's buy-in, if we had not made the decision for her to move from Gastonia to Durham, which in some ways it was yet another loss for her. Like she had lost her husband, her home, her 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 job, her business. And so it felt like, oh gosh, you know, is this actually selfish on our part to have her closer? But to see how much she embraced being up here and then to see, you know, I play out what, what, what memories would not have been made. We wouldn't have had probably that uh, sweet experience of making that video. I think we would have continued to have min minimal interaction with her if she stayed in assisted living in Gastonia. I think the, the team there was amazing, but th their hands were tied by how much she could really have family around her. So I think the, the making of that film and it was kind of, yeah, it was emblematic of who mom was even to the end that she, even if she had very little energy when she was awake and, uh, around people, it brought her a lot of life and a lot of energy. And she still had the ability to bring the life to the room. I mean, I remember right before we started filming that movie, I mean, she was asleep and you just like got her up and she within like three minutes was in character, ready to go. Had no idea what we were going to do in advance. I said, mom, you're going to be a Jedi warrior and you're going to be chased by a werewolf. Go. Like, sounds good. Like, sounds good. <laughs> that doesn't seem odd at all to me. That's I'll go right. for it. Yeah, um, that was definitely mom's perspective on things. Yeah. So that was a really special memory. I also have a lot of of memories coming to your house those last couple of uh, months. And I remember one time you and Jenny and, and your boys went to the library and I just stayed with mom and just laid beside her in bed. And we listened to praise music. She loved 10,000 reasons and um, Hillsong song oceans and just a couple of other songs that I, th I think gave her some peace and just to rub her back and rub her head. She loved to have her head scratched. And then we had a lot of fun meals together. I remember those last couple of months. It was also really special to see so many other people uh, in your home there spending time with mom, whether it was her first cousins or longtime friends from Salem or from Ashley High School, um, her sandbox buddies. These are like old, old, old friends who go back, you know, six plus decades. I mean, the oldest of dearest of friends. So that is really special to think about. I play out how things could have been different. I think her life would have ended sooner. And I think she would have been much more alone if we hadn't have made some of the, the moves in the last few months of her life. And for that, I'm really grateful for going back to that Montreal trip too. That's, that's also something that it was, there was this, it was kind of comical what it took to get her up there, all of the tanks and all of the preparation, but it was really the, the narrowest of windows that we had and the Lord opened up, you know, a, a stretch between three hospital stays. It was kind of after hospital stay number two and about a month before hospital stay number three. And it was like the clouds parted enough for her to get up there. And, um, I think that was something that her brother Lee will always cherish as well, that Montre just is a multi-generational gift to our family. And so to see that she was able to have, you know, not just a 12 hour trip. I think at one point we talked about, should we just do this as like a day trip? 
she was able to have like a legitimate like weekend of rest and laughter and riding with the top down and seeing the colors. And I think my favorite thing in addition to that from that weekend was the fact that I got to spend time with you. Mm. We got to go hiking. We got to just yeah catch up so much of our time together. That year was logistics. Let's hash out her meds. Let's hash out, you yeah. know, what do we need to do to care for her? So, um, yeah, I think the, the one thing I definitely want to speak to is, um, is our friendship over the past mm. 41 years for me. <laughs> I'm 43, Rob's 41. And just how I'm grateful that we've gotten to go through this together um, and how, how grateful I am for you and how uh, I think this would have been, this would have been really hard to have gone through if mm. I had to be to do it by, my, by myself. And um, mm. it's not always common that siblings get along as well as, as we have. Yeah. And then I'm so grateful that going through this challenge didn't divide us and it mm -hmm. certainly brought us closer together. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I totally agree, Stu. I mean, I think a lot of traumatic prolonged. So there was both acute trauma and then there was prolonged trauma. I think either of those can actually have the opposite effect in a family. And so that is a gift that we were able to walk through that. It did not create a wedge between us or between our spouses. Um, yeah, I think if anything, that's one of the blessings of an otherwise challenging season is that it gave us even more opportunities to spend time together. I think it helped me really embrace what your giftings are and what my giftings are. I think we were comfortable kind of giving up a certain amount of control over the situation. And I also felt like there were times that you were able to give me perspective on whatever valley we were in. And then there were other times that I was able to do the same for you. So I think that, yeah, back to the whole walking through that path together, I just felt like it made us stronger and more reliant on each other. I think it also helped us deepen our faith to say, okay, Lord, how are you going to actually take this really challenging situation and use it to change our um, the ways in which we love and serve our families. And there's a lot that I think you and I both have said that we take from mom and dad. They're just real rich um, gifts. And so I want to name that, but also I think some of the challenges that we walk through is also a gift in the sense that hopefully we can make other choices that will, you know, maybe prevent that from happening with our kids. Yeah. What would you say? I know for me, this, uh, Pod, writing this podcast and recording it's been a form of therapy for me i think it's helped me mm -hmm. to get some perspective on on the past uh, decade and and just helped me to come to terms with my grief and, and anger and um mm -hmm. just to move forward in a productive way um if you wouldn't mind talking just a little bit as much as you're willing to just about how you've processed all of this and how you feel like it's you maybe need to continue processing it yeah i mean i think that it feels like some of the things that just compounded with mom and dad were outside of their control. And then there are other things that I feel like it was a series of kind of small things that over time became a, an avalanche. So if I think about one of the things that is most important is that you have a really kind of strong open lines of communication with your spouse. And so Molly and I have talked about that a lot. I think about there's some there's definitely some lessons around. Um, I mean, of course, there can be benefits by taking risks in business and buying 
real estate and things like that. But I think there's just like a very practical learning that that's just not something that I ever want to do is intermingle family and, um, and friends and business, uh, investments. Um, so I think there was like just a, a learning there because a lot of the challenges apart from the health challenges, uh, related to just our dad's propensity to take risks that I just don't think I will ever want to do. So there's a learning there. I think that, um, so now, you know, Molly and I have both lost both sets of our parents. And so there's definitely a learning there. And she was unfortunately earlier in this than me, but I think there's certainly a learning there around seeing that the Lord could actually work through loss and work through death. Um, that I don't think that he wants us to lose our parents when we still have young kids or even before we have kids and in Molly's case, but we can also see his fingerprints on family members passing and that leading to, you know, maybe taking even more, um, just cherishing every day more, or maybe it would lead to making sure we don't wait to have those memories or those impart those lessons to our kids. And so I think those are, you know, that's something that dad always taught us growing up because of his own childhood was to take advantage of every day. So I feel like we already had that instilled. I do think the last 10 years has maybe driven that home even more. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm much more, uh, risk averse yeah. uh, as a result of all this as well. And uh, I think you make a great point about having open lines of communication with your family and particularly with your kids as they get older about what you want, hmm. uh, what you would like, what your wishes are for your retiring years and what right. your, your plans are just so you're on the same page with, I find myself doing this now whenever somebody asked about what we went through is as I, I will ask them, have you had conversations with your parents about yeah, what they want? Definitely not comfortable, but I'm glad that as mom and dad got sicker, we were able to have some of those conversations. It still doesn't feel like we were as fully prepared as I would like to be. So I think that is certainly a hope is if I look ahead, whether it's 30 plus 40 plus years from now that our two boys and your, your two boys are not, having a huddle, um, with each other to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we help, um, right. in the ways that we had to. So that would, that would certainly, and I know that mom and dad did not ever want us. And they told us, we don't want you guys to worry. But the bottom line is, is that we did worry. And there were a lot of things that we had to step in and manage. And some of that could still happen to us as we age that our, our kids are going to have to step in as we get weaker. And in some ways, I think that is what is intended is that kind of beautiful picture of when you're a baby, you're cared for and nurtured by your parents. And then as you reach those latter weeks and months, essentially you're back in that space as, as Becky Green said in that podcast around what a gift that you were able to tuck mom in. I mean, that's just like a really cool picture of the full circle that she was proximate enough that you could do that, that you could care for her in that way. So I don't want to lose that sense that like we need to be so well-planned that our kids don't actually have the space to enter into that level of care. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that's actually um, a beautiful picture of the family unit that in some ways we don't like to confront or face aging. We don't like to think about the fact that our loved ones are going to get to the point where they can't bathe themselves or go to the bathroom. Right. We want to turn away from that. And so I think this past 10 years has been a continued process of, we can't turn away. We have to actually face that. And then what are you going to do uh, when that, when that moment or moments come? I feel like, um, one of the things that 
you growing up in a small town, you know, there's a sense that people know, know your business and know what, um, you have to kind of carry yourself in a way that's, that does not bring shame on your family. And I feel like that's something that mm. I know dad in particular always was very conscious of. Um, mm. so knowing that I'm doing this podcast and, and you know, a, not a lot of people are going to, going to listen to it, but enough people who know mom and dad will listen to it and they'll maybe be knowing things about our family that, um, are not, you know, particularly flattering. Um, how do you feel about that? I think I, you know, as I've processed the last few years, I've also felt shame about how everything played out. And so when you mentioned that you were going to do this, I was like, oh, this is just going to kind of inflame that more because now it's not just something that I feel myself. It's the, the that information and that difficult narrative is going to be out there. But I think because you approach this from a posture of, I'm going to be as transparent as I think I can to still honor mom and dad, but I'm also going to use this as a, as a vehicle to help people see that there's still light still does shine in dark places. Um, and there were just, yeah, a lot of things about the last 10 years. Again, I've said this already, but yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how many, um, blessings came out of a really challenging situation. So I guess that's just kind of how I sit with it is that it feels unfair that a lot of things played out the way they did. I just think about like our, our boys, like not having living grandparents on our side is that's hard, you know? Um, but then you also see so many other people step in to love and care for them, or you see that it's created this really unique opportunity for us to talk to them about death that, many kids at that age maybe just are um, not exposed to. So not that we were seeking that out, but because it happened twice in the span of two and a half years at that really formative age, I think that then, again, you take something that you want to avoid, but it happens. Okay, so how do we actually how do we actually move forward and use that in a way that they can still have some good come out of it? So yeah, I think that that, so that would be my hope in this podcast is that whether it reaches two people or 20 or 200 that people hearing this would find some encouragement that whatever challenges they're walking through, like there, there can be some good that can come out of it. Make sure you're, you're rooted in community and leaning into those around you. I think that that, as we've talked about in our own relationship has been super helpful. And I think about just so many of mom and dad's dear friends and family who also, you know, I hope people hear in this conversation that it wasn't like this, Stu and Rob took on this Herculean solo effort. I mean, my gosh, our wives took on so much, um, uh, not just in caring for our kids, but in also caring for mom and, and taking on communication with family and friends. And then I think about all of the other just dear friends. I don't want to name people because I'll feel like we'll leave people out, but I know that some of those close friends who will, and family who will hear this, I hope that they, know just how much we appreciate their um, presence in mom and dad's life in those last few years. And even if they had actually been wronged in some way, uh, which could have happened in the case of things that happened with, with dad over the years, I just continue to be really um, just blown away by people's grace that they extended to our family and continue to cultivate a relationship with us and with mom, even if they had 
challenges um, that were unresolved with with dad. So um, all those things, I just you know, it's a complex set of emotions, but something that uh, I'm uh, just sitting in and grateful for. Yeah, this uh, I very much wrote this from a very personal perspective and inside my own head. And um, yeah, there's so many so many family and friends who. I just was not able to really address that we, we, Rob and I did not do this in a vacuum. We had hmm. tremendous amount of support from other people and, and that made, made all the difference. Yeah. Well, as I wrap this up, Rob, is there any, anything else you wanted to get on the record here as saying before we're done with my first ever podcast series? I think one thing that I've just wanted to commend you for doing this, uh, for putting yourself out there, for learning this new medium of podcasting. I know you're going to equip students to tell their own stories so i think that's one thing that just the power of stories the power of um of vulnerability so the way you've modeled that in this project and in so many other projects um i know you said it was a form of therapy for you but i think it's certainly been one for me as well um so thank you for the invitation to talk and excited to see this come together thanks bro all right love you man love you too and it's been uh, now we're gonna head on downstairs and Go hug on our boys and our wives. Yes, sounds great. All right, signing off. The Mess Podcast was written and edited by me, Stuart Albright, with grateful assistance from Robert Albright, Molly Albright, and Jenny Albright. Technical support and resources were provided by the Jordan Innovation Lab. This podcast attempts to honor the complicated legacy of my parents, Nancy and Alan Albright. If you have questions or comments, feel free to contact me at stewardalbright at yahoo.com.